So we're in the last stage of the road to freedom. Yes, it's fantastic. We both have haircuts. Yes. I've been to the cinema. Been double vaccinated. Yep. Like 80% of people in New South Wales. Mm. And Victoria is almost on the same trajectory as well. Yes. Just a bit behind us. So they've loosened some of the restrictions in New South Wales. Guess what difference that makes to living in strata. You tell me, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Oh. You still have to mask up on common property. You still have to wear a mask in the lifts because we're going to get more infections because more people are mingling more. Mm. I mean, 80% means that one person in every five isn't double vaccinated, mm. which is two members of a football team. <laughs> so there's going to be a spike in infections for sure. So we still have to take sensible precautions. Right. So wearing masks, whatever your building manager or strata manager or committee or next door neighbour tells you, you should still be wearing masks on common property in apartment buildings. And especially in confined spaces like lifts, I guess. Yes, indeed. Mm. Moving on, uh, last week I was invited on to the James Valentine afternoon show on ABC 702 at the same time as David Chandler, the building commissioner for New South Wales, to talk about defects in a report by the Strata Community Association that has revealed that four out of every 10 apartments in or apartment blocks over the last six years has serious defects. So he came on, James had a chat with him, and uh, I have cherry-picked some of the stuff that David Chandler said, so we'll be listening to that. We're going to hear about an apartment block which might be one of those, might very well be one of those, which is uh, teetering on the brink of evacuation. Oh, gosh. And you're going to tell us some news, which is good news for property investors and possibly not such good news for tenants. In apartments. In apartments, because mm. rents are going up. Mm. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is a flat chat wrap. As I said before that inspiring music, I was on the James Valentine show last week and uh, David Chandler was there talking about defects and the Strata Community Association report that said four in ten new apartment buildings in New South Wales have been found to have serious defects. So James chatted to him and chatted to me, but I've taken him and me out and left David Chandler in. <laughs> and this is what he had to say about the defects. Well, it's not a pretty number, and uh, what we needed to do was to get some serious uh, evidence on the table so that those people who didn't think it's as big an issue uh, see the reality of it. Uh, my job here is to turn it around for consumers and to uh, make sure we stop this being the story of the future. But we're always going to have to go back and uh, and deal with some of the buildings that are uh, legacy buildings, so we just can't leave them off the chessboard. So that's these buildings, and we wanted to know what the data was really about them, so... 23% of buildings in the last six years have got waterproofing problems, which are by far the biggest issue. And, of course, then 14% have fire safety issues. So you can see that um, you know, there's quite a large number of types of issues as well as there being a lot of defects. 
rooms, it's everything to do with waterproofing. So it's basements, it's podiums, it's bathrooms, it's balconies and it's roofs. And it's also the enclosure of the building, the facade. So uh, you'll hear in the media right now that there's quite a lot of talk about uh, leading to uh, flammable cladding. Well, that's part of the process here um, of making sure that we go back now and, uh, and rectify as many of these buildings as we possibly can. So waterproofing. Um, yeah, that's a huge issue, isn't it, really? Because it costs an awful lot of money to rectify. But I always thought it was just bathrooms. That's oh. the thing you think about. Yeah. You know, the tiles in the bathrooms have to be taken up. So that I you always can thought get... it was also swimming pools. And so <laughs> waterproofing <laughs> of swimming pools, yes. Roofs, walls, um, everything. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's a big, big issue. And, mm. and it's one that for some reason developers and builders in – for as long as we've been even vaguely interested in apartments, they've been unable to cope with the, the challenge of waterproofing their buildings. I guess because it takes a while to do it, doesn't it? They have to do lots of different layers and they have to wait for it to, to dry and set before they carry on. Yeah. And if they're on a really tight deadline, they want to do it really quickly. Maybe that's when they start shortcuts. And, uh, you know, if developers are cutting the payments to the tradies, then mm. they will rush things through. Yeah. And it's uh, it's also easy to hide because mm. it's under tiles. Yeah, yeah That kind of thing. Now, as you probably heard, David's line was breaking up there and uh, they went away and I had a chat myself to James and we were talking about how this problem had started back 20-odd years ago. And I was saying uh, back then, you know, there was so much building going on that – that uh, people were just calling themselves developers, getting a loan from the bank, getting a few mates to sign off on their certification and things like that. And now we're dealing with the problems. And another part of the problem is that people who discover they have defects don't want to report them. Yeah, that's a really hard one, isn't it? I, I think often they don't want to report them because they don't want to draw any attention to them. Yeah. Because they're scared that the news will get out. Yeah, before the they sell. Their, yeah, that's right. The value of their apartments will fall. Yeah. And they won't be able to sell for a decent price. And also, I guess there has been traditionally a lack of confidence in Department of Fair Trading. Well, for good reason. Well, they, so people think, well, what's the point of reporting to them? Because they're not going to help me. I need to go straight to lawyers. Yeah, or to my real estate agent and get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> But this is something else that David Chandler is tackling. This is what he had to say. Well, you'll see in the data that only 15% of people actually reported their buildings to the Office of Fair Trading. Now, again, there's a range of reasons for that, but that means 85% of those buildings the regulator didn't get to see. And uh, that's where we've really ramped up our effort in the last 18 months, because we want to see those buildings and we want to really see what we can do to help consumers while the developers are still around. Well, we've, we've really seriously lifted the resources available for this. It's terribly important to understand that the focus here is on these key building elements in the common property of buildings. That's where the major impact of these buildings uh, occurs. So it's not so much focused on the scratches on the bench top or, or those sorts of, I guess, consumer type issues. These are the ones that go to the seriousness of the building's ability into the future. So look, we, we are really working hard to reduce that. I believe that in the last year we have substantially turned around the behaviour of uh, certifiers. I believe that we've substantially improved the incidence of waterproofing problems in buildings. And what a lot of people don't realise is that David Chandler is also uh, heading up the cladding 
task force, the, the flammable cladding. Oh, in his force. spare time? Yeah, if he has any. <laughs> so he had a couple of fairly telling things to say about that. He's not impressed by the way this has been reported, apparently. And now we're turning our mind to getting all of the f- buildings that have got flammable cladding on them resolved because there's 200 of those in New South Wales that need to be attended to. Now, there's a lot of false information being played around at the moment as to exactly what buildings are in and what buildings are out. But the focus of our work at the moment is to deal with multi-unit residential apartments where there's multiple owners because they're largely unsophisticated people and, and they've been left to their own devices. And so we're, we're not so much by, what, bothered by commercial buildings and, and buildings that have got a single owner in them. We're interested in buildings that have got multiple owners who really need the help of uh, what's going on here. And uh, there's also been some pretty false allegations about uh, where we're up, comp- up to compared to what's happening in Victoria. So that's a really poor comparison. I mean, they started 18 months ago on a very different approach to what we're doing in New South Wales. It's important, though, for consumers to understand that in New South Wales, we are going to get this done properly, we're going to get this done safely, and that requires a lot of front-end planning, which we're just about complete, and we're going to start at the end of this month doing the investigations of the buildings to enable the start of the replacement of the cladding. What are the different ways that New South Wales and Victoria are tackling this cladding crisis then? Well, I think uh, in Victoria, the got buildings to register with, through their local council and they came along and I think they offered assistance, financial assistance, and they set up a fund. Uh, I don't know how effective that has been. New South Wales, what they basically said was so they, they identified the buildings and then they said, okay, we will come and tell you how to fix the cladding and get it done properly, and then you can get insurance for this. But you have to register, and then, and also you will get a 10-year interest-free loan mm. to pay for the cladding uh, rectification. Now, the last I heard, and the applications for this closed at the end of September, was that fewer than 100 of the 240 buildings had actually applied for this. And, uh, is that because they just don't know about it? or? Well, I think that's... Probably because they're worried that if the government is behind the certification of the rectification, then they may be compelled to do the most expensive um, kind of fix, you know, like the Rolls-Royce fix rather than the Toyota Corolla fix, which would probably do. Yeah, because I think there's been a lot of um, criticism from certain product manufacturers as well. They've been saying... We've got lots of great new products here, which would be perfect for replacing the the defective mm. cladding, but they're not being considered by the um, the office. They're, yeah. they're, they're just looking at certain products, and we think there's a lot more products, yep. cheaper, sometimes just as good, that kind of thing. But the if you've ever seen video of a cladding test, they're really expensive because you, it's not just that you take a piece of cladding and put a blowtorch on it and see if it catches fire. You've got to actually create the kind of chimney effect up the side of a building. Yeah. Because there's a gap. They're covering a gap. And if they catch fire, as we've seen in some of these horrific scenes in from the UK especially, if they catch fire, that chimney effect just draws the flames up. Oh, wow. And that's a really expensive uh, test to conduct. Mm, Horrendously yeah. expensive. So I'm guessing that might be one of the reasons that they've zeroed in mm. on certain 
products. Sure, so it's not just like that TikTok guy who recently set fire to his um, lounge room carpet. Did you see that? I did not see no, that. It's no. horrendous. He just uh, he just started um, throwing petrol onto his carpet and then set fire to it and said, oh, "I can do all this if I want to." <sighs> wow, TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. Is he still around? He certainly is, and um, he's got a huge following too. Oh my god! Yeah, right then. David spoke about why there are so many buildings that are defective. Well, part of this, James, is the fact that uh, a lot of these developers you were ta- uh, that uh, Jimmy was talking about really didn't know how to build a building at all, and so some of them have either cut corners or just simply were straight out incompetent. But uh, now that you've got the new Design and Building Practitioners Act in New South Wales, we're now turning it around so that, in fact, you can't commence these works without a proper design. When we've been going in and pulling these bathrooms apart, and we've nearly pulled out a thousand bathrooms, developers are starting to get the message because it's a pretty ugly sight when we say, righto, 200 bathrooms, pull them all out and start again before you can hand this over to a consumer. They're starting to get the message that, uh, in fact, it wasn't that smart to start without having a proper design and getting the work done, planned and ordered properly. So in the middle of this, uh, James encourages people to call in or text. Mm. So somebody sent a text in saying that they'd had defects in their building, but they'd been covered by insurance. And it had taken them two or three years to to get the money back. But eventually they had the repairs being done under the terms of their insurance. They were lucky. Wow. They were very lucky. And, Not many uh, people in that position. Well, David picked up on that very point. Mm. Well, we've got to make sure that going forward that we don't have people put in that position. And you'll you'll hear the minister announce shortly that we're about to introduce uh, a 10-year warranty insurance to be available to consumers on the very first day that their building is finished. Now, New South Wales will be leading the country in this type of uh, cover. So instead of people having to wait 10 years or four years or whatever to go through the courts, they will simply be able to claim on a 10-year warranty insurance. Now, that work is just about to start, and by the end of next year, we expect to have that available for future purchases of multi-unit apartments. These are the sorts of things that only get enabled when you can clean up some of the risks, because the insurers have been simply unprepared to insure these products with the risks that have existed in the past. And finally, we came to the $100 million question. Hmm. James asked David, is it safe to buy off the plan? Ah, what did David say to that? Well, have a listen. Uh, Look, I think increasingly, yes, you can. And uh, the important thing is to do some homework. You know, the the people who have done bad buildings have left a few of those behind them. All I can ask consumers to do in this transition period is to don't just get caught up in the heat of the moment. Check who the developer is. Go and have a look at a couple of buildings that they've built in the last four or five years and ask the people who live in them what what's happening. Because, you know, uh, uh, over 60 to 80% of developers out there just do these buildings day in, day out, and there's not a single problem with them. There's this rump of 20% that are the root cause of this. And these are the sorts of people that we're really sitting hard on. Well, that's pretty good advice. Do your homework. Mm, check yeah. out the developer. Check out the developments that they've done before. Um, Talk to the people who live there, see if they've had any problems. Yep. Mm, no, that's that's what everybody should be doing. Yes. Yep. But, you know, we've been saying for ages, stay away from buying off the plan because it's too risky. 
when you see what David Chandler's doing here in New South Wales, you realise that that risk factor has reduced considerably. Absolutely. You'd have a lot more confidence about buying a building off, uh, buying an apartment off the plan now than you would have done any time in the last 20 years, really, I think. Yeah, and you could be missing opportunities, not necessarily to make money, but to find a nice apartment in a nice area, you know. Yeah, and I mean, we all love that new car smell, well, that yeah. new apartment smell, although it may be a little bit more dangerous with all the off-gassing and things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, is 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 great. It's nice to be the first person to live in an apartment, really. Mm. Anybody who's even done a renovation realizes how nice it is to be in a, you yeah, know, the fresh. first person in a, yeah. yeah. And, and as well, new apartments, some of them are so much nicer than old apartments. You know, they have great layouts, they have good floor plans, mm. they have lots of windows, they have a nice big balcony. Yeah. They use, you know, some great new products around, mm. um, the kitchens and their bathrooms. They can be great finishes and it can be, you know, not so expensive as and the well clunky planned. old ones. They're well yeah. planned. You know, yeah. they think about where everything should be to be most effective and make most effective use of the space. They've so they also have got flow through and then, you know, indoor outdoor spaces. Yeah. And also many of them now have kind of study areas as well, which right. we all kind of need because so many people working from home and may continue to do so. Although you discovered an apartment where the study area was basically a cupboard under the stairs. That's right. <laughs> that was bizarre, wasn't yeah, it? Somebody's yeah. found a, a, an odd space. What can we do with this? Ah, we'll call it the Zoom room. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, these a new apartment will have all the things that older apartments are trying to retrofit, like electric car charging and cabling for computers and audio and things like that. So, you know, and hopefully good soundproofing. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Which is a big issue. Yeah. Big, big issue. Because now that we know that everybody either wants tiles or timber on their floor, then the, that's being designed into the, the, the block so that it's properly insulated before you even set foot in the place. Mm. Yeah. Cause I was talking to somebody the other day and they're designing over 55 apartments. Uh huh. That's apartments for the over 55s. (laughs) And they said in the past they'd always done tiles on the floor because that demographic loved tiles because it's clean. It's easy. It's easy to look after. And then they did a survey and discovered that they don't like tiles. They actually like timber. Right. So now they're kind of changing all their plans and putting all timber on the on the floors. Right. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, people's tastes change. Products improve. Some of that – I've seen some fantastic – timber things which weren't actually timber actually david chandler showed me them there were these these plastic um wooden slats that you put on the floor and i couldn't believe they weren't timber oh. and they looked amazing and they're incredibly hard wearing so with a new apartment you have all that kind of stuff fantastic never been available before there you go all right um when we come back we're going to talk about a building that was teetering teetering it was on the brink of being evacuated. That's after this. So this was a building in Canterbury, in southwest Sydney, called the Vicinity. Very, very attractive-looking building with lots of curves on one end. And the Owners' Corporation had commissioned a building engineer to do a survey of the building to see if there were any defects. Mm. The building engineer last week said it was so dangerous that they might have to evacuate the whole building because <gasps> it was in danger of collapse. Oh, no. But the developer said, 
no. You know, we, our engineer, surprise, surprise, disagrees. Mm. The residents got, got in touch with David Chandler's office and they sent round engineers and experts who said, no, it, it's in bad shape, but it's not going to fall down. Mm. But I think it was related to that earthquake that happened a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. I think the Owners Corporation's engineer suddenly went, oh, my God, if there's an earthquake, is this building going to stand up? And he didn't want to sign off and say that it was it was safe and secure, just in case it wasn't. Mm. Like if the earthquake had happened here in Sydney rather than down in Melbourne. Sure. Because I think there was also a row over which documents he was able to access as well, wasn't he? Because he was asking the developer for certain specs right. and things, and he said the developer wasn't producing them, whereas the developer said he was. Well, that old argument. Yeah, exactly. So I guess it's quite hard to really decide on the worthiness of a building. There's well, the engineer has a, a responsibility beyond a defect claim. If he goes into a building and thinks this building is unsafe, then he's duty-bound to tell the the owners. Mm. And if he doesn't make that warning clear enough, you could have what happened in Miami, mm. in Florida, mm. where they, you know, the whole building collapsed and I think about 90 people died. <gasps> you wouldn't want that on your conscience, would you? No, really? no. Mm. And... Uh, and then that was an interesting case because that was a an old, much older building where the owners' corporation had been told that there were problems structurally. There was a lot of rust and concrete mm. cancer, and they, they were told several times over several years that the building really needed fixed up. But because it was going to cost them quite a lot of money, they just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and those condominium mm. board members are now looking at prosecution if they've survived the building collapse oh, of course yeah absolutely yeah so mm. yeah but so at least the people in the vicinity building are, well hopefully that sort that sorts itself out well hopefully they can if there are problems with it they can fix them quickly yeah and effectively and you know well some of them were see another mascot tower some of them had their, their bags packed ready to go Oh, that would have been so scary, wouldn't yeah. it? Especially if you had kids and yeah, oh, terrible. So there's a story about that on the Flatchat website. If you, okay. anybody's interested, flatchat.com.au. When we come back after this, Sue, you're going to tell us the latest news on apartment rentals. It's after this. Okay, Sue, what's happening in apartment in the rental area? Well, as you know, house rents have gone up astronomically during the pandemic because everybody's raced to go and live in houses. Right. But apartment rents have been falling for the last five quarters. Right. But finally, they've started to go up. Okay. So that's good news for people who own apartments, who are investors. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they're kind of going up from a pretty low base because they've been falling so dramatically over, yep. over the last period. But now, as well as going up, they're also going up at the same rate as house rents, right. which is quite extraordinary, really. So they're not the same level as house rents. No, they're st still a fair bit cheaper, but they've gone up at 2.5% over the last quarter, which was June to September. So we know why they went down, because all the, the overseas visitors, students, um, the holiday rental market just disappeared overnight almost with the pandemic, the first lockdown, then the second and the, I don't know how many lockdowns 
Victoria's into now, but six, I think. Mm. So we know that they basically huge numbers of the population of apartments just left. Yep, that's right. Well, lots of them now are moving back um, because they can't afford house rents anymore, so they're going back into apartments. Um, because prices are still going up, um, they can't afford to, to buy, particularly right. first home buyers. So they're choosing to rent apartments as the next best choice. And they're often choosing to rent bigger apartments because right. people want a bit more space because yep. they're often working at home as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a tale of two parts of the country, really, because in Sydney and Melbourne, they've had the biggest falls of unit rentals over yeah. the last um, year. Um, so, But they've both bounced back a little bit now. Sydney went up in the last quarter 3.2% and Melbourne went up 1.4%. So they're right. kind of – we're seeing a big turnaround and, and the experts, the economists, think that – apartment rents are now going to continue to rise. Right. They're not going to fall back again. So you think that there's an opportunistic thing where people are saying, I've got a chance to be in a nicer, bigger apartment than I was in before for possibly even less money. Yeah, and I guess we're all kind of looking towards our international borders opening. Yeah. And when the the overseas students come back, they may be moving back into the inner cities again, into Sydney and Melbourne. So rents will continue to, to go up much more appreciably, I think, then as well. All right, great. Good to know. Yeah, it's good for investors in Good for investors, yeah. But it's also good to know that people are getting a bit more choice in where they rent and the kind of apartment they rent. Yeah, although, I mean, it's obviously not all good news for tenants because rents are going up. That is true. (laughs) That's That's true. Now, at the beginning of the show, we mentioned the fact that we still have to wear masks while we're on common property in Strata. yes. Why are you repeating this, Jimmy? Because there's an article that I took legally from the Conversation online magazine by an expert in ventilation in apartment buildings because now that we know that the real problem with infection is through the air, through aerosols, Mm. and he has written a piece for the Conversation about how to avoid getting an infection in an apartment block. Oh, that's a good idea. And when you think that now that we're all starting to mingle a bit more, Mm. there is going to be a spike in infections. So you don't want to be one of the people who has decided, I really don't need to wear my mask uh, in my common property, and then the next thing you know, you're in hospital. Mm. Because even if you've got vaccine, even if you've been vaccinated, you can still get COVID. Sure, absolutely. Just but hopefully not as seriously. But not as seriously. It it's less unpleasant. likely to kill you. But yeah. yeah, well, it means you could be taken up a hospital bed that would otherwise be used for somebody who has taken precautions, you know. It's, yeah, and you could be passing on to somebody who's immunocompromised. Sorry, that's a hard word to say. It is. And, uh, you know, and, and some people, you know, with disabilities have been having trouble getting the vaccine and stuff. Yeah. So check it out. It's on flatchat.com.au. It's all about how to lower your risk of getting COVID in a high rise. Thank you so much, Sue, for today. That's great. Pleasure, Jimmy. And uh, thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher or your favourite podcatcher just search for Flat Chat Rap 
with a W, click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.